Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On this episode, the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture released its 2023 Saskatchewan Grasshopper Survey. And while parts of western Saskatchewan seemed to be the hot spot, there was significant and damaging grasshopper populations seen in central, southwest and far southeastern regions. Dr. James Tansey, Provincial Insect Pest Management Specialist, talks about population density, concerns about the unusually warm fall and its possible impact on grasshopper populations in 2024. The federal government and the canola sector will team up for another five-year research cluster. The feds are putting up $9 million in funding. The 2023 to 2028 Canola AgriScience cluster follows a similar one that ran from 2018. Canola Council of Canada Vice President of Crop Production and Innovation, Curtis Brempel, will discuss how the model supports projects intended to mobilize industry, government and academia through partnerships and address significant national priorities like increasing canola productivity, helping the canola sector meet global demands and improve the industry's competitiveness globally, all with an eye to sustainability. After the break, James Tansey. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Ottawa's investment of over $9 million in canola research is expected to play a key role in driving growth in Canada's canola industry and its contribution to the Canadian economy. With me is Curtis Rempel with the Canola Council of Canada. He is the Vice President of Crop Production and Innovation. Uh, these announcements are made each year, Curtis, but I'm sure uh, the Council and many other uh, stakeholders are, are pleased with uh, the announcement of this uh, research funding. It's extremely welcome. We, uh, we welcome our public-private uh, research funding uh, with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and also all of the university uh, partners that, that also play a, a, a role in this cluster. And this, uh, the, the Agriculture, Agri-Food Canada Science Cluster, uh, Sustainable Agriculture Cluster is... Uh, is really key to advancing our industry and grower research priorities. As I mentioned, uh, the funding comes uh, generally every year. So maybe you could just explain, Curtis, what that money will be going towards. The Agriculture Canada contribution is just over nine million, and then our 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 uh, our Canola Council um, uh, membership. Uh, contribution and growers contribution amounts to just over 8 million so it's 17 million over 17 million dollars in funding uh yeah the ag canada portion is 9 million but it's uh it's a 17 million dollar funding tranche and to get back to your question we have a number of key innovation innovation needs that this uh, research that the cluster is going to fund and and first of all we're going to it's going to enhance our understanding and application of advancing for our nutrient management practices primarily for profitability and yield but also for incre- improving uh, nitrous oxide emissions or reducing nitrous oxide emissions and sequestering more carbon it's going to strengthen our our understanding and development of genetic resistance against key key canola pathogens and also insect pests like flea beetle. Uh, 
We're targeting yield improvements directly, which um, benefit our industry and growers directly. Yield improvements while increasing profitability. And part of that is for understanding how canola can mitigate climate change and also how we can become resilient against changing climate. And then last but not least, a, a chunk of it is for market development and for understanding the canola meal's impact on reducing dairy, uh, methane emissions from dairy production and its value, nutritional value in aquaculture markets, which is a new and emerging um, space for canola. And then last but not least, I guess we should also say there's a component, a significant component working with all of our partners in turning this research into knowledge or the knowledge and tech transfer. And our Ag Canada and university scientists working together with council agronomists and our industry partners have a great collaboration and turning research into knowledge is what really um, is, uh, is puts the capstone on the research projects. We're seeing growing demand in all sectors with regards to canola. Uh, so I'm assuming then uh, research is going to focus on how to increase canola yields to meet that demand. I anticipate we're going to see more canola grown over the prairies, although acres, um, you know, their acre expansion is, is, is getting more, is more limited. We have, um, we have canola, a lot of canola growers working on optimum acres as, uh, or optimum rotations as it is. And I think there's room for expansion potentially in, in, in southern Alberta and southern Saskatchewan in what we call the brown soil zones. But I think the big, the big gain is going to be more, more canola per acre, like higher yields per acre. And so that yield intensification also helps us meet our growing global demand for food and, and biofuel. It helps, uh, really helps sequester more carbon because uh, agricultural, increasing agricultural yields pulls a lot of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And, uh, and we also uh, increase grower profitability. And I think grower profitability is, is really uh, at the heart of the research. And I understand that the funding uh, is over a five-year period? It's going to be an exciting five years. I look forward to all of the, the partnerships and the research networks that we have already built and that we will continue to build with our Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada research scientists, as well as all of our university scientists that, that participate, and then working with our network of growers and agronomists to, to advance the research findings and turn them into best management practices, which lead to, um, yeah, lead to increased yield and profitability. So really looking forward to this again. And I guess it's important to note, too, that there are other funding partners that are involved that provide um, money for research, and we should mention those as well. One final shout-out to, uh, to, to, to Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada for, uh, for, for continuing to fund research, agriculture research in, in Canada and to our growers and, and canola value chain for uh, stepping to the plate and, uh, and continuing their investment. Our, our growers in private sector and canola put enormous amount of, of research dollars in, into the uh, funding, into the research stream as it is, and to come to uh, advance this public-private partnership with additional dollars um, is, is going to drive our industry as well. Curtis Bremple is the Canola Council of Canada's Vice President of Crop Production and Innovation.
Here are the top agriculture stories for the week of December 5th, 2023. Roughly 27,000 Canadian farmers were asked about their 2023 crop and reported on a number of crops, including wheat, canola, barley and oats. Canola production decreased by 2% nationally to 18.3 million tonnes. Barley production fell 10.9% to 8.9 million tonnes. And total oat production decreased by 49 0.6% nationally to 2.6 million tons. A big blow for supporters of Bill C-234, the legislation that would have exempted the carbon tax from natural gas and propane used to dry grain as well as heat and cool livestock barns. The Senate voted in favor of an amendment to remove barns from the legislation only leaving grain dry. The vote was extremely close and passed by a margin of 40 to 39. Bill C-234 supporter Senator David Wells says the bill is gutted and will likely return to Parliament for more debate. Farm Credit Canada is projecting sales of new farm equipment to slow down in the new year. Economist Lee Anderson says it's driven by high interest rates, increased equipment prices, a decline in commodity prices, drought in Western Canada and tighter revenues in the livestock sector. He said their analysis showed equipment on farm is getting older, meaning the slowdown in new sales could be a short-lived trend. Anderson says the report also says sales of four-wheel drive tractors and agricultural implements such as air drills as the only equipment types expected to have positive gains this year. Oil content in the Western Canadian canola crop is improving after the drought of 2021. This year, the average canola oil content in Saskatchewan was 43.9% compared to 41.1% in 2021. Alberta and BC, 43.8% this year and 41.6% two years ago. Manitoba, 43 in 2023 and 41.1 in 2021. Veronique Berthe with the Grain Commission was concerned about the declining number of canola samples submitted by producers over the past four years. The private member's bill that aims to reduce the risk of biosecurity breaches from trespassers on farm received a final approval in the House of Commons. Bill C-275, brought forward by Conservative Shadow Minister for Agriculture John Barlow, would update the Health of Animals Act to make it an offence to enter a place where animals are kept without permission if doing so could expose them to disease or a contaminant. To discourage activists from entering farms and putting animals at risk, the bill would enable the government to levy six-figure fines on individuals and organizations who commit an offense. Deidre Kelly has been named the executive director of Canada's new Indo-Pacific Agriculture and Agri-Food Office in Manila. Kelly has 20 years of international experience with Global Affairs Canada, including numerous assignments abroad. The federal government is planning to open the physical office in the new year. Virgin Atlantic marked a transatlantic milestone, the first commercial and wide-body aircraft flight crossing the ocean on 100% sustainable aviation fuel. A Boeing 787, powered by a Rolls-Royce engine, flew from London Heathrow to New York JFK. The prospect of future demand from airlines has contributed to major investment in soybean and canola processing facilities in the U.S. and Canada over the last few years. If you like what you've heard, you can rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, tell your friends, and make sure to subscribe to AgriPod with Alice McFarlane for more weekly episodes. 
Digging into the topics that matter to you. The AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. The Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture released its grasshopper report for the 2023 growing season. And there are, of course, some areas that had severe outbreaks last year. And how will that impact the 2024 growing season? With me is Dr. James Tansey, the Provincial Insect Pest Management Specialist with the Ministry of Agriculture. Culture. And uh, James, tell us first of all about some of the hot spots that we saw in 2023. There were some regions that had agricultural disasters and there were some growers that were hit really hard. And once again, I mean, we're looking at 11 to 1200 sites, but Saskatchewan is a huge area. So typically we're looking at uh, four sites per RM, which is actually more exhaustive than than any other insect survey that, that we do in the province. But, uh, you know, resolution being resolution, there's, there's, there's always a chance that you can miss hot spots. And sometimes these populations can be highly localized. And uh, once, they get to, uh, once they get to have wings, uh, they get to be highly mobile as well. So, I mean, they can take flight, they can cover 100 kilometers a day, and sometimes, uh, you know, en masse in big groups. So what I'm getting at is that populations can be missed. What areas were hardest hit specifically? Yeah, I mean, the Kindersley area, uh, certainly, uh, we had uh, regions in the southwest that were hit very hard, regions, you know, some, some central regions. Uh, we even had some hot spots in, uh, in the, uh, in the uh, south, uh, southeast, which is relatively uncharacteristic. Um, we had a couple of individual sites, even in north central and north, northeast areas, uh, with high populations. These were, uh, I would say, exceptions to the rule in, in those areas. And so, the, you know, with, with the map, you know, the small areas, even if they're detected as part of the survey, aren't going to be illustrated, uh, you know, given, given you know, the 30,000-foot the view, I mean, the, the, the overview of the entire province. Can you break it down by crop? Uh, what was most susceptible? Um, so I, I think a really important consideration and uh, one that I don't know that a lot of people really appreciate is that we've got a pretty good diversity of grasshopper species in the province. We have 85 species of grasshopper that are native to the prairies. Of these, only about four are ever uh, typically economically important. There can be a couple others that can be periodically uh, economically important, but typically we have the four bad actors. So you know, the most prevalent one is going to be two-stripe grasshopper and uh, this one prefers, you know, lusher habitats and, and lusher plant material, but it will munch on cereals given a chance. Uh, it's important to note, too, that, that they, they, they will do host switching as well, which can uh, influence uh, what's happening with the survey as well. So they need to feed, you know, some of these grasshopper species need to feed on different host plants to get the nutrition that they need, so they're obliged to move around. The other more numerous pest species is the lesser migratory grasshopper. And this one's a real garbage guts. If it's a plant and it's not nailed down, it's on the menu. I mean, there will be some exceptions to that, but they, you know, their their host range, their diet breadth is is relatively broad. Uh, and they'll feed on other insects, you know, other dead insects. They'll feed on dung if push comes to shove. I mean, if push comes to shove and they're starving, there's 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 not much that they won't feed on. We've also got Packard's grasshopper, and that one we had a couple of minor hot spots in the Saskatoon area. That one uh, has been reported to uh, prefer legumes, and so that can be a problem in those crops and pulse crops, obviously, as can the others. Finally, the major problematic grasshopper is the clearwing grasshopper, and that one is a real grass specialist. So I mean, it can be a significant problem. 
in cereal crops, but it's typically not a problem in broadleaf crops. Although they can be noted and reported in these crops, oftentimes they're just sunning to get their internal temperatures up. So they, they bask to get their, you know, get sunlight on themselves and get their internal temperatures up. So we got some different host preferences and different crops have different tolerance for damage. With that, I mean, if you're looking at flax in bowl or lentil in flour, the tolerance is very low. I mean, so you're looking at two adults or large nymphs per square meter. You can tolerate more small nymphs, but uh, but as a rule, I mean, uh, yeah, those are very sensitive to grasshopper feeding. If you're looking at crops like cereals, then the tolerance 10 to 12 per square meter. If you're looking at canola or soybean, then your tolerance goes up to about 15 per square meter. Canola is very tolerant of foliar damage, as is soybean. If they're munching on the pods of both those crops, then obviously that threshold diminishes. No replacement for growers to get out and actually monitor what's happening in their fields. With that, they can gauge their decisions. Now, we know there are different types of grasshoppers, but what was the prevalent type this year? The vast majority of what we saw this year was two-stripe grasshopper. I mean, we did have, you know, again, little hot spots of Packards around Saskatoon, and we did have some significant numbers of lesser migratory in, you know, the south end, you know, in Regina area primarily. Most of the reports that were coming in from what I saw, most of what we saw was two-stripe. Southeast uh, Redvers area was very few two-stripe, dominated by lesser migratory, but grasshopper pressure was not heavy right around Redvers. Uh, although not very far from there, we did have reports of heavy damage. So that illustrates too, I mean, the, the, the highly localized nature of these populations. I mean, really what we're looking at is, strictly speaking, numbers of grasshoppers, and that's you know, contributes to our forecast because, I mean, obviously large numbers of grasshoppers means large numbers of eggs and those eggs would be going into the ground. It is a measure of our potential risk next year, uh, but it really capturing what's happening, you know, late growing season of the current year. What are some of the factors that would mitigate their prevalence in the coming year? And this incredibly mild fall, I'm sure, is not helpful either. You're absolutely right. It is not helpful. One thing to consider, though, is those eggs are in the ground. So, I mean, there are a number of factors that can contribute to that. And uh, this past year, uh, the planets really lined up to benefit the grasshopper. So we had really warm temperatures in May. So those eggs are in the ground and they undergo a period of embryonic development before the winter hits. And once that cold weather hits, you know, around the freezing mark, then that embryonic development stops. They need to get to a point of embryonic development to be able to survive the winter in big numbers. And of course, we had a very warm fall last year, so they had lots of opportunity to absorb that heat and to complete that embryonic development up to that stage. Once it warms up again in the spring, embryonic development continues until you get the hatch. And of course, we had very warm temperatures in large parts of the province in May. And so that meant those eggs were taken up and those embryos were taken up a lot of heat and could really speed through their development quickly. And we had two striped grasshoppers coming up about two weeks early in a number of areas. So an early hatch coupled with, uh, you know, reasonable amounts of green plants for them to feed on and, uh, and continue their nymphal development coupled with warm temperatures meant we had early development of adults. And so we got early mating, we got early egg laying or oviposition. 
and and continued warm temperatures. So those eggs, it looks very much like they've gotten to point of sufficient development where they're going to survive the winter. They are very cold hardy, the, the eggs. I mean, they, they can take sustained temperatures in the mid-minus teens. That's if they're completely exposed. Of course, they're underground, so they're going to get some protection. Snow cover where that occurs, that's going to contribute to that. If we get a real hard cold snap without much snow cover, that can contribute to uh, grasshopper mortality. However, the chief factor to limiting their populations is going to be a cool, wet spring. So if we get sustained, cool, wet weather in the spring, uh, that leads primarily to the outbreak of fungal infections. And there's one in particular called Entomophthora, and that one is associated with periods of grasshopper population collapse and that cool wet weather. It's not the only game in town. I mean, there are a number of different fungal pathogens that can negatively impact grasshoppers, but typically they like it on the cool and humid side. So yeah, the weather is absolutely, uh, absolutely fundamental. And James, what are your thoughts for the upcoming season? It's really important for growers to look at resources like our ministry website and the uh, Prairie Pest Monitoring Network uh, website because uh, on that website we collaborate with our Ag Canada partners, with our university partners, and with other provincial jurisdictions to uh, provide information on a prairie-wide scale, not just for grasshoppers, but for a broad array of different insect pests. And there's uh, some really invaluable information there, including grasshopper uh, development models, so you can get an idea regionally when enough heat has come up for the hatch to begin. And that will inform, you know, whether you need to be out there monitoring. There are thresholds for nymphs and there are thresholds for adults. And we have those on our ministry website and we encourage people to go visit those. Keep a careful eye out for what's going to happen with grasshoppers in the spring. And if you have the opportunity to control them, then you should take that opportunity, of course, if they're at threshold. So obviously base your decisions on whether they've arrived at thresholds or not. Dr. James Tanzi is the Provincial Insect Pest Management Specialist with the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture. Coming up next, Curtis Rempel and the Canola Council of Canada discusses the funding announced for canola research projects in the coming year. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Pattison Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.